You are welcome to the Apostle Frederick Kaluluma podcast channel for yet another powerful, sobering, and inspiring word from God. Grab your Bibles, pens, and notepads as we join Apostle Frederick Kaluluma from the City of the Lord Church in Lusaka, Zambia. Be blessed. So Luke 24 and verse 13. Now this is after Jesus has died. And for now, no music. Uh, until a certain point, I'll give you a signal. Except we've not invented a signal for music now, so you have to guess when I give it. <laughs> and so, you know, why I love this portion of scripture, let's start from verse 13, is... It leaves me imagining. I've got a very imaginative mind, and I would like to actually write something, like maybe a storyline, or maybe we do a play or something on the road to Emmaus. It's just, for me, it's just intriguing. Like, after everything has happened, who's ever had, like, a long weekend? You're in a long weekend right now, eh? Now, can you imagine this was after... Because we know that Jesus Christ died most likely on uh, Wednesday, right? It was most likely Wednesday or Thursday. Scholars argue between Wednesday and Thursday, but most likely on a Wednesday, right? Because the Bible says he died before the Sabbath. So because the Bible says he died before the Sabbath, many people think it means he died before saturday but if you read it i think in john's translation we are told that it was a high sabbath right and you know what a high sabbath is right it's not necessarily the sabbath called saturday but rather it's a celebration of i think seven years let me just show you from the scripture it's like the way Christmas can fall on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday. That's why he died before the Sabbath and resurrected after the Sabbath. But he spent three days, three nights. So it's most likely not Friday because Friday to Sunday is not three days, three nights. It's actually one day. Okay. But nevertheless, um, but that's, so I want you to imagine that period has passed and what a week it was as in they went from seeing um and you can see the high sabbath on john 19 31 just for those who think we're making this up john 19 verse 31 you know you never know 31 please therefore because it was the preparation day Okay, give me the NIV. Oh, yeah. Now, it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. So it wasn't the usual Sabbath. It was a special Sabbath or a high Sabbath. Then NKGV, what does it say? That one says, for that Sabbath was a high day. So it's that, those are just some details in the Bible that sometimes we miss out on. But it was a very interesting week. The week went from Hosanna, Hosanna, to uh, Judas doing his thing, 
to get seventy, and and Jesus going willingly to get seventy. I, I really enjoyed that one. I was so hard. Uh, you did well. <laughs> no, I'd never heard them rehearse it, and it's a challenging song. You guys nailed it. Okay. Yeah. So now, um. And then there's the crucifixion and all those things. After everything has happened, what a long week it was. And so they're now walking back. That, that's what I just imagine. Like, what were they going through? What were they discussing? Take me back. What were they talking about? Like, how was it like? I've got a feeling they were exhausted. They were exhausted mentally. They were exhausted emotionally. They were exhausted physically. And I think they were going back to just go rest now. And behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh -huh. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Let's go on. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, so they were trying to make sense of it, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Uh-huh. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Uh -huh. And he said, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another? As you walk and are sad, they were probably emotionally exhausted. And if you know, being emotionally exhausted and walking on foot is a very bad combination. <laughs> How many of you know that? <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, gave Jesus a penalty and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you have not known the things which happen in these days. I've, this is the first scripture I'll quote. I don't want to go deeper in this because I wrote about it in the DMNT. But really, are you the only stranger in the body of Christ that you don't know why we're so excited? That you don't know why we keep singing these songs? You know what we'll do today? We'll do what they did with Jesus. Look at what they did in the next verse. And so he said to them, what things? So he said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. So we'll tell you why. We'll make it plain and simple. And that's what I endeavor to do. So the first part, I'm really just giving a few history lessons. Now we know that this was a very important period. Because just before, um, just before this, there was the, the Passover, right? And the Passover is something that is so symbolic and means a lot to us. I'm going to share some very deep things. Tell your body. If, if, if it even dares start trying to close the eye, tell it, this is not what I came for. Praise God. At any point, if you want to stand, as long as you're not disturbing somebody, you're free to. And then also, as I'm sharing, avoid walking out. Sometimes I feel like saying, come back. The next point is your point. You even feel it that this is that person's point. So take it like an exam where they tell you the first one hour 30, no walking out. Somehow you stay back. Everything is controlled. Praise God. And so the Israelites were in bondage in 
Egypt. And as they were in bondage, um, God meets Moses, who was running away from Egypt, and sends him back to the place he was running away from. And, you know, God is very interesting. Sometimes your assignment can be in that very thing you fear. Sometimes that's where your assignment can be. And you know what? For Moses, his assignment had tried to express itself, but he never had understanding of it. That's how come he killed the Egyptian when the Egyptian was manhandling an Israelite. Praise God. Some of you, that grace for evangelism had stayed manifesting before you got born again. Somehow you could just influence people to do anything, whether it's the wrong thing. You are just too influential. Whether it's the wrong thing or the right thing. Some gentlemen have come to my office. Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with me. Every time I talk to ladies, they just accept. Surely you've got grace for evangelism and you've been using it wrongly. So, brother, brother, don't misuse the grace. They are supposed to be accepting Jesus. They are making them upset too. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> yeah, we are looking for a certain brother. That, <laughs> I will never forget calling a certain member of the church. And they hadn't come in a long time. And I don't know what happened to me. So I just got the phone and called. And I said, ship, ship, come home. And the member answered, we are afraid. I said, what are you afraid of? And he said, we're afraid of the shepherd. <laughs> I, I was slightly chuffed. So anyways, let's continue. <laughs> so there were, um, God now sends Moses. And then God had a longing to set the Israelites apart. And so you begin to see that in his language, that he was already building up to something huge. You can see that from Exodus 8, verse 22, where it says, now remember the Israelites are in Egypt, but then they have got a special place in Egypt called Goshen. And what was happening these days is that the plagues that were hitting Egypt were not hitting Goshen. And so it says, and I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Let's continue. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow that sign shall be. He was building up for it. Look at verse 31 on, of Exodus chapter 8. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. That's after Moses had interceded. Actually, I realized why I put that verse. I just liked it because it says the Lord did according to the word of Moses. So that verse, I don't know how, it wasn't supposed to be in the sermon notes. It was in my study notes. When I was, I had put it as a note on intercession because 
Pharaoh went to Moses and said, intercede. And then the Bible says, God did according to the word of Moses. So let's now go to the one in the notes. Um, Exodus 11, verse 7, another plague. And we see something here. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Praise God. And then the biggest of all differences was the Passover. And what happened in the Passover is God... God decided to revenge against Pharaoh. Revenge is so delicate and so big that God has said, leave it to him. It's too dangerous for a man. So God decided to revenge against Pharaoh and said, you've touched my firstborn, who is Israel. I'll touch your firstborn. That's what God actually said. You know, God, that's what God said. By the way, studying the book of Exodus was amazing. There's one verse that amazed me. You'll go look for it. The, the person who finds it first, you should send it to me as a message. Have you observed how initially God asked Moses, what's in your hand? And then he had, a, he had a rod. And then God started doing wonders with the rod. And then the very next chapter, it says Moses went with the rod of God. Anyways, let's continue. You should just, just go look. That's actually what it says. Moses went with the rod of God. So God makes a decision to say, look, all the Israelites will be safe, but there's something they have to do. In short, we never know. What if there's one Israelite who decided not to put the blood? Salvation can be available for everyone, but you have to take that step of faith and do what God has said should be done. Praise God. And so... They were to slaughter a lamb and get the blood and, you know, put on their door. And in Exodus 12, verse 13, we see the Passover instituted. Because the Bible says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What I find interesting is being passed over had nothing to do with who was a good person and who was a bad person. Being passed over had everything to do with your relationship with that blood. It had everything to do with you following that instruction. And from this, you can already see grace. You can already see grace because all people had to do is express their faith by putting the blood on the door and God would pass over them. It was not even about their previous deeds, which was a sign of what would happen with us. The blood of the lamb was going to be shed. And it was not going to be about who did this and who did that and who didn't do what. But because of the blood, all of us were going to receive the same salvation. And then God was very sentimental about this. Notice in Exodus 12 and verse 25, he tells them, it shall come to pass 
when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service of what? The Passover. Uh-huh. 26. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Like, why do you do this? Next verse. That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Doesn't this sound similar to Jesus saying, here is the bread, eat. Here is the wine, drink. Then it sounds similar to him saying, do this in remembrance of me. Praise God. And, and that's why the team should remind me, I want us to start doing communion a bit more often as a ministry. But I'm also encouraging us to be doing communion in our homes. I was having a discussion with my wife who are planning that, where we have scheduled communions every two weeks or something like that. And shall come to pass when one of the little ones goes, says, why do you do that? Or tell them, I wasn't always this righteous person, you see. There's somebody who came and died for me. That's the reason I'm making it to heaven. There's somebody who did something for me. Praise God. That's why for us, Easter is not about eggs. Now, eat them if you want. That's up to you. Don't feel guilty about eating them. I know pastor said. <laughs> but if that's what it's about, that's so shallow. And please, let's train our kids that this Easter is about Jesus. It's not about a bunny. It's about the Lord Jesus and what he did. Praise God. Now, we know that the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus was predicted by Abraham. It was prophesied. When Abraham went with Isaac and Abraham put the wood on Isaac and Isaac asked a very smart question because he realized the atmosphere was changing. <laughs> and so Isaac asked, saying, ah, their wood is here. <laughs> Where is the lamb? And I've got a feeling, holding back the tears, Abraham suddenly went in the spirit and prophesied. And said, God will provide the lamb. And remember at the, he ended up sacrificing a ram, not a lamb. And the ram is an old sheep, which was showing that the Old Testament will come first. But then when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, now behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of man. And we're going to go to that. Just wait. It's still getting intense. I'll never forget meeting somebody. This, this, this thing, it changed my life. I was at Unza. It taught me how to preach the gospel. And I was preaching to someone. And um, I asked them if they were born again. And so they replied a bit rudely. They said, I look like some sinner to you. Eh? And really they did. So I wanted to say... <laughs> I wanted to say, yeah. So I just say, I, I just, say, I just changed the topic, you know, because they, 
afterwards they told me how they were so sinful. It's not funny. They're like, me. <laughs> and they just looked at me and they knew I'm sinful. And I will never forget telling them, saying, you know, in the Bible, at the end of the year, people would like carry a lamb, take it to the priest, lay hands on the lamb, and then they would get the lamb's purity, and then the lamb would atone for their sin. And they're like, so you're telling me if I can find 23 lambs, because they were 23 years old, then I'll be fine. I felt like such a preacher. I said, well, there is a lamb. <laughs> this one doesn't just atone. This one takes away the sin of man. That's remission. Takes away the sin of man. And they explained and they gave their life to Christ. And I want you to understand that the lamb was slaughtered. The lamb was slain. And perhaps tonight, I want us to, this morning, I want us to have a bit of an understanding of the agony that this lamb had to experience. You will never take these things lightly again. Now, I want us to understand that crucifixion is something we may not fully understand in this day and age because we don't see it happening around. And Praise God, we don't. It's such a horrifying thing. But it was a culture that was there in those days. It wasn't actually started by the Romans, but the Romans adopted it. And a few things that they would do, there are different types of crosses that were used over the years. There were some crosses which were, there was one which was just a pole that was straight, there were some crosses which were shaped like an X. And then the cross in the time of Jesus was more like a T shaped, like a T. Not really like a small letter T, probably more like capital letter T. So most likely this part was a bit higher. That's how it was shaped. And the cross was made of two pieces. The upright portion of the cross, that one, was called the stipes. And then the blood of the victim would run down this vertical piece of wood and would form stripes on the surface. Yeah. And if they thought the criminal was very notorious, they would put a small sign on top of the crucifix. That was stating the, victory, the victim's crime. This was called a titulus. And interestingly, Jesus' crime was stated on top. And it was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. 
and there was two pieces, like I said. So there's the piece that's vertical, like this, the steps. That one was usually planted already because it was almost impossible for somebody to carry it. It was heavy. And then there was a second piece called the patibulum. That's the one that's like this. So that one, the criminal would be made to carry it on their own. So most likely what the Lord Jesus carried was not, because you can't carry, <laughs> most likely it was that one. And it was so heavy in itself that people would struggle to carry it. Worse off if someone is from being beaten. Can we go on? So let's just understand a few things. And most people would die from something that medically we can call asphyxiation, which is the inability to breathe. So the cross was designed in such a way that it tortures you until you can't breathe. Breathing becomes hard. Praise God. And if the victim was taking long to die, they would break his legs. Now, I want you to understand something. For the victim to breathe, because of how it was designed, he would have to stand up on the nail through his feet, causing excruciating pain in his feet, but enabling him to take a breath. That's why when they break the legs, that's it, because now you can't do anything to breathe. Praise God. Having said this, let's analyze a bit of what Jesus went through. I've actually not started yet. So, Jesus is arrested. And I'll focus more on the physical today rather than the emotional because I'm sure the Judas one did hurt. Right? Some of us think it didn't hurt. He wrote about it in the Psalms. And so Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night and he was brought before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. And when Jesus remained silent, remember when the high priest asked him a question and he remained silent? The Bible tells us that he was slapped. And then afterwards, the palace guards, what did they do? They blinded him with a cloth to taunt him, saying, identify who hit you. And they spat on him and they pulled out his beard. And for some of you who don't know, we've identified before seven times that the blood of Jesus was shed, right? And the beard is one of the times. Don't forget, he bled. And that one, I believe, was so that we could have intimacy with God. And then in those days, spitting on someone was the worst form of mockery. We are not told how many guards mocked him, but usually palace guards could be as many as 900. Maybe it was 10 of them. 
could have been 50, could have been 200. But considering that Jesus was big business, could have been 700. So he endured a lot of shame, disgrace, and pain at the hands of these soldiers. And then the next thing that happened is that he was scourged, right? He was given lashes. It is believed by many that he was given 39 plus 1 lashes. The reason why it's believed that is because in Jewish culture, it was not allowed to give more than 40 lashes. There are some scholars, however, who suggest that there's a chance he could have been given more than 40 because it wasn't the Jews doing it. It was the Romans, and they didn't care. And the weapon that was used to scourge him had teeth. It was animal teeth. I think about nine teeth. And so it would claw flesh out. That's what it was designed to do. And it would eventually produce um, bruises and probably expose the muscles. And that one was for our healing. Praise God. That one was for our healing. And then, as if that's not enough, well, very exhausted, he's now made to carry a heavy part of the cross. And so most likely, he was walking. Now, this is the king of the world. And they would make them walk a long distance so people can watch and laugh at them. Praise God. And someone wants to spend Easter drinking. So now, um, my outfit is a bit tight. Is there anyone who can help me? Like you're gonna have to be standing and falling. Who can help me? You, you, you manage. You can come through. So, he's carrying something. He's carrying a cross. He can walk, stumble, fall. Get up again, walk, stumble, fall. Now, what? can you imagine what mockery that was? Like everyone is looking and saying, that's the king? That's the one they're calling the Messiah. And eventually it got so heavy for him that they forced a certain guy to carry it for him. Interesting, the guy was African. I, I, I don't want to go, thank you, you may take a seat. I don't want to go into details. But, if you had to ask me, I feel that has got a very symbolic meaning for Africa. I've got a very we may not have been the ones who started, who believed it first, but I believe that Africa has been given the mandate to carry the burden of the Lord. I believe that. 
there is a way we've got it. We're just passing on the way. <laughs> and we, it was, and notice the cross was forced on the guy. Even us as Africans, this thing was forced on us. And then <laughs> we grabbed a hold of it. <laughs> and then a nail was placed in his hands, most likely on the wrist, right? Reason being it was placed here, it would have slashed all the way through, but on the wrist, there's a way they strategically put it so that it can, you know, hold. And I believe that his, the blood being shed from his hands means that our hands are blessed. We're no longer under the curse that Adam had. And the blood being shed on his feet, because one nail was used for both feet, I believe that means that our feet are blessed. Wherever we put our feet, we trample. We've already identified the face, the back, the hands, the feet, and um, the first one, remember he sweated blood in Gethsemane? I believe that that intense level of labor was so that we could walk in rest. So we've identified five, right? Meaning there are two more. There's the crown of thorns that was placed on his head. They sunk it in, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the curse can never rest on your head. After it was sunk in his head, and you can accept anyone telling you you're under a curse, not after what happened to him. That was too much. And then there was a side for the church to be born. But then he's under this intense pressure. And Jesus still follows the... Uh, I mean, at that point, he still could have said, Lord, show them. He still continues. And eventually he's crucified and he's put over there. And at that point, the most precious commodity is air because for every breath you breathe, it's a lot of pain. So the last thing you'd want to do is talk. Because if you talk, you're increasing the pain. Who's ever just had that kasha pain which when you talk? So you have to stop talking. Now can you imagine Jesus is in that position and yet he still made time to say seven things. You know he said seven things? You want to read the seven things he said? The first thing he said is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In that level of intense pain, where every breath counts, he gathered enough strength to say, Father, forgive them. The second thing he said was, today you'll be with me in paradise, to the thief. The third thing he said is he made sure he took care of his family. 
He said, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. In short, he left things in order for Mary. The fourth thing he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think in the Bible we see it as Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabah, Tani. Now, imagine that. And that was, for Jesus, the greatest agony. Can we keep it down that side? That was the greatest agony for him. You understand on Sunday why he reached a place where he said that. Because at that point, the face of God was not on him for the first time ever. I think that's why I love that song. You know, ah, Jesus, you love me too much. Oh. You know what made me love it? Towards the end, there's a part where she says, Eloi, Eloi, Sabachani, you said it all for me. That's what he said. And then, the fifth thing he said was, I thirst. The sixth thing he said was, it is finished. And the last thing he said is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. At this point, with all the torture that he had gone through, and I've really just given you bits Jesus did not look like a human being. Have you ever seen a person who's just been given three blows on the face? Just three. Just three. Not even like, just three. Three good ones on the face. Have you ever watched a boxing match and afterwards you can't recognize the other guy? Now, imagine how Jesus was looking. He didn't look good. That's why the Bible says there was no beauty in him. He had lost form, ladies and gentlemen. He lost form. And that's how the king exited the world. Just like that. Uh, give me the photos just for reference purposes. You can give me all three. The first one is highlighting how the cross was probably designed and how it looked. You can see the T there, and then you can see the crown of thorns there, and you can see the beatings. You can see it engraved on the top. That should have been me. That, I don't know. That, that was supposed to be Isaac. That was supposed to be us. And then he took it for us. All the filth, all the sin you can imagine, he became it. He didn't carry our sins. He became sin. He became a curse. For the Bible says, curse is the man who hangs on the tree. Give me the next one. That's an idea of how they used to whip. So this is an idea of how the... The belt for whipping looked. And this is how they would put the person on a pole like that. And then they would... That's an idea of how they used to do. Give me the third one. 
that's just an idea of a man. I think that one is from the Passion of the Christ. It's one of those that depicts it a bit. It's one of those that really tried. He, he wasn't in shape. He wasn't in the right shape. But then there's a verse I want us to see. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 and what it says. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Look at the next verse. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. What does this mean? After all that, look, give me Hebrews 12. And verse 1. Who's ever been walking a great distance? And you just keep reminding yourself that you'll be there. You'll reach, you'll reach. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So there was joy that was set before him. And many of us believe the joy that was set before him was heaven. He already had heaven. He already had it. What was the joy set before him? It says he will see the labor of his soul. So you know what? He's walking. Bah! Bah! He's being hit. He's being mocked. At any point, at the snap of his fingers, he can have legions of angels. He's thinking, Frederick, Frederick, Frederick. He's thinking, Benedict, Wabi, Futemba, Mwelwa, Okay. Okay. Bam, another one. Okay. No, no Lasco needs this. Another one, okay. That one's for Aaron. Another one, and he's thinking, no. <sighs> and he knows it's our sins putting him there. But rather than getting angry with us, he says, Father, forgive them. <laughs> Don't, don't hold this against them. And then back to Isaiah 53. You see why I told you this could be the most important sermon you ever hear? And verse 12. Isaiah 53 and verse 12. And it says, were we in verse 11? Yeah, verse 11. It says, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. So when God looks, 
That's why do you think the Bible says there's joy in the heavens? Who do you think dances more? Tell me, who do you think would dance? An angel who's never died for you or Jesus who took all that for you? Who do you think actually does the dancing? No, no, no. Tell me, who do you think does... Who do you think dances more when someone is born? The midwife or the actual mother? Who do you think is more pleased? The joy in the heavens over a sinner repenting. It's like Jesus saying yes. And that's why when you go about and what you're preaching is not the gospel, but rather condemnation. It bothers the Lord Jesus, not after what he went through. That's why judgment will be... No wonder he whipped in the temple. Some of the nonsense people are doing, some of the stuff people are preaching, how can a person spend a whole year? Their sermon is, why Pentecostals have got it wrong? Ah, you, have got, you think, imagine, Jesus should go through all that for someone to not go to heaven because they eat pork. What are we reducing? That's an insult to the Lord Jesus. Dare I say this, and I say this with all humility. Jesus should go through all that. And someone should not go to heaven because they're messed up. because they did all sorts of things that anyone wouldn't want to do, because they aborted, because they fornicated, because they've been drunk, because they've done all that, then someone shouldn't make it after what Jesus did. Then we're wasting. That's why we take the gospel to everyone. We've got good news for them. And the good news is that they don't have to pay for those sins. Someone paid for it. And notice, it says he shall see the labor of his soul. So he shall see you. And uh, <sighs> it was worth it. And he even decided not to do a creative miracle. He decided, let me leave the hose there. As a reminder. And then he shall see you. And it's worth it. Why do you think it won't trouble God to heal your body? It's not a big deal. Do you know that? Go to Romans 8, verse 32. I want you to, okay, I want you to imagine this. Your little one comes to you, prepares a meal, and then kneels and says, please, all I need from you is a coin. I just want a coin. Ha! How it feels. Like you do all this for a coin. Is that where you put me? What am I trying to say? Here, and that's somebody who you've bought something expensive for before. It won't bother you to give them a coin. You've paid Lola, you think you can't buy them a drink when they ask for one. Not like I'm referring to any personal <laughs> situations. 
All I'm saying is, the biggest gift God could have given has already been given. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? After the man died, it wouldn't bother him to heal your body. It wouldn't bother him to heal that depression. It wouldn't bother him to give you those school fees. That's nothing compared to what he went through. And so he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That's why I can't call myself a sinner. I would be insulting everything he went through. Let's go back to Isaiah 53. It says he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Praise God. And by his knowledge, this knowledge I'm giving to you, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The word justify means to acquit and make righteous. And that is why we've got Romans 5 verse 1. What does it say? It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is not angry at you. Imagine that. You can actually have peace with God. Like You've got a good relationship with him. Praise God. You can, because of what Jesus did, you can speak to God and not feel, and I use this term very respectfully, not feel inferior in the context of, let me give you this example. When I speak to my mother, I don't feel like I'm a dog and she's a human being. I don't feel inferior in nature. That doesn't mean there's no honor. It doesn't mean there's no respect. But I don't feel like I'm speaking to someone who's of a different nature. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. That, why do you think Jesus would say when you pray, pray saying, our Father. He literally wants you to have a daddy relationship with him. And so when Jesus looks and he sees, how many of you have ever brought someone to church? Like, you even know that that person, you convince them, right? And then after some time, you start seeing them calling it their home and the like. And they used to trouble you, but now you're seeing them say, hey, my pastor. They're no longer saying my friend's pastor. It's now my pastor, this, and ABCD. You see the labor of your soul. And you're satisfied. So when Jesus sees you saying, daddy in heaven, he's like, yeah. Like That, that was worth it. When he sees us having 100 minutes of prayer, he's like, yeah, <laughs> that was worth it. When he sees us taking charge of situations, he's like, that was worth it. I shared all this today to let you know that what Jesus went through was real. And he felt it as a human being. He experienced it. So that you and I can never do that. Born that men no more should die. I've forgotten the rest of the words. 
Hark the herald angels sing Glory to You know, after meditating on this, that's why I couldn't be seated when the team was giving us all their songs. I just kept thinking about it. I couldn't be seated. I can't take this thing lightly. I can't. And we've not even talked about the resurrection. We've got communion Sunday for that. Jesus, for me. Let me show you one last verse for today. Hey. Romans 5. Verse 6. Ha! And then I should be quiet about this. Are, are you in G, Alaska? Says amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Just softly. That you take my place. I hope the next line will now mean a lot to you. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for, for that. Can we sing that one more time softly? This is amazing grace, everyone. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would take my place. And you would bear my cross. And you would bear my cross. And what did you do for me? You laid down your life. Why? That I would be set free. sing for all that you've done for me. I'll never forget one time as we prepare to as we're going to an period of worship, okay? Um, there was one time my parents got so angry at the house help because they were spending the whole day watching Africa magic 
and not allowing me to watch TV. And they were like, I work this hard so that he should watch the TV. Someone has caught what I'm trying to say. Do you know how God feels when he sees you boldly proclaiming? When he, that's, that's what he labored for. Okay. Romans 5 verse 6. Some of us here may be thinking we are not worth much. Maybe because of how we've been treated by some human beings. For when we were with, still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now look at the next verse. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. What that means is that even if you're a righteous man, people don't usually die for you. Here's how we know. Let's be honest. Someone can say, guys, I'm championing this, I'm championing this, and everyone says, yes, go ahead. And then the guy goes to do a protest. If he gets arrested, eh, he think people risk their life for that person. He'll just be on the keyboard. Let him go. Let him go. Even Sipika Fanta. Again, back on the keyboard. Let him go. <laughs> hey, people are protective in nature. <laughs> Have you noticed that one of the easiest stances people take is the defensive stance? And the first person they defend is themselves. So people don't even die for righteous people. They just type on the keyboard. Praise God. And it says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, maybe someone would be willing. But look at the next verse. But God, somebody say, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. That no, he didn't wait for you to be at your peak. He didn't wait for you to be at your best behavior. While we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Ha! I've got a question for you. Is there somebody in this place who's not made Jesus Christ king of your life. Someone whom Jesus is not yet Lord over your life. And you can tell if he's not Lord over your life. You know it. From the depth of your heart, you can tell if you're born again. And listen, you don't, it's not about going back and, but is that, it's not about going back and cleaning up your act first. He wants you now. And what better way to honor him than to give your life to Christ to him today. What better way to honor him? If you're one of those people saying, Apostle, we'll continue with the worship soon. But first, I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to be born again. I want to have that assurance of heaven. I don't want him to waste his labor. If you're one of those, I want, to, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to do it quickly. I want you to raise your hand. I'll give you a minute. I want you to lift your hand. And I want you to say after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross. You are buried and you rose again. And now I give you my life. 
have ordered them. Congratulations. Just keep your hands lifted. I receive the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Receive it. Team, you know what to do. Oh, wow. What a service. I have been so blessed and I know you have been too. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. You can reach the City of the Lord Church on 0 If you are unable to call, you can email us on thecityofthelordzambia at gmail.com or reach us on Facebook at the City of the Lord Church. Stay blessed.